The Engineering Commons is a podcast dedicated to the challenges that engineers encounter, regardless of which industry or field they work in on a regular basis. These can be overarching topics that affect us over our entire careers, or stories of everyday frustrations and how to deal with them. This is the episode for October 17, 2013, in which we discuss the portrayal of engineers in fiction. So, Brian, does your day-to-day work sometimes feel like it's turning into a soap opera? Well, I don't know if it's a soap opera, but it sometimes it feels like either a procedural crime drama or uh, an episode of uh, Breaking Bad. <laughs> right. And so, if you if you wrote the uh, the story yourself, would you be the evil villain or the hero of the story? I think it depends on who you talk to. I'm sure the su- the suppliers and purchasing believe I'm a villain. Uh, I, I hope the customer sees me as a, as a, uh, hero. Right. Well, you don't, you don't see too many engineers as lead characters in, uh, today's modern media. You know, uh, I can't think of uh, many books that have engineers as, as lead characters or many movies. There's always the, the engineers in the Star Trek movies. Yeah. And, uh, my personal favorite movie, uh, uh, real genius is, uh, one of the few standouts that, and, uh, sneakers. Sneakers. Yes. With, uh, <laughs> with Dan Aykroyd, Robert Redford and River Phoenix. Well, not engineers. That's probably one of the most technical movies ever made. Yeah. I can't, I, when I saw that movie, the part I couldn't get over was the pairing of uh, Dan Aykroyd and Robert Redford together. <laughs> hey, but how many times have you ever seen somebody in a movie actually probe a quad flat pack and, uh, discuss the signals that are coming out of it? Uh, fairly rarely. Yes. Can we also adopt Jeff Goldblum from Independence Day? Make him an honorary engineer? No. What? All right, how about Will Smith? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he wanted to be an astronaut. They are, they're engineers. Yes, but let's not forget Jeff Goldblum did give a alien computer a virus. All right, well, he's a hacker. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Since uh, engineers don't show up a whole lot in as lead characters in mass media, and they do tend to get portrayed as sort of the, you know, the, uh, the sidekick in most of the movies. We thought, thought uh, today we'd talk about how engineers are per- portrayed in mass media. And our uh, guest today is uh, Stefan Yeager, who's the managing director of member and corporate communications for the American Society of Civil Engineers. And while Stefan is not an engineer himself, he did earn a bachelor's degree in physics and astronomy from the University of Michigan. And most importantly for our discussion today, he recently published an award-winning novel that features a civil engineer as the lead character. Uh, so, Stefan, welcome to the Engineering Commons. Thanks for having me. We appreciate your willingness to uh, join us this evening. And uh, before we get into your efforts as a writer, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your work with the American Society of Civil Engineers? Sure. I've been with uh, ASC about uh, eight years now. Started out, uh, had various responsibilities over the years Started out with strategic planning and international activities. Uh, Part of that was also a a vision for civil engineering in 2025 uh, effort. I've also been uh, involved recently in the communications area and now have uh, corporate communications and civil engineering magazine under me as well as uh, history and heritage. And uh, another effort is the raise the bar effort that I've been involved with for a couple of years where um, ASCE and other organizations are looking to uh, raise the bar on the requirements for engineering licensure uh, that uh, that will require in the future for future engineers to have a master's degree or an equivalent 30 
extra hours as a prerequisite for licensure. And, and so is the thought there that engineers are not qualified or enough, or is it to separate out the, the wheat from the chaff, so to speak? Well, it's really t- talking about the, the future. I mean, the, the facts, uh, you know, what's happening now in, in education is the uh, number of credits for a bachelor's degree have gone steadily down. And, uh, you know, decades ago, they got 150 hours generally. Now it's the average is about 128. And, uh, you know, fiscal requirements of states are bringing it to 120. And at the same time, you have the, uh, um, the, the body of knowledge, basically what engineers need to know uh, going up. And so you have those things where basically uh, what an engineer needs to know at the professional level, something has also sort of been documented through ASCE's uh, uh, body of knowledge of what an uh, engineer needs to know at the professional level, just doesn't fit in, in four years uh, anymore. And uh, the idea that, that down the road, this, you know, the profession needs to prepare for the future and down the road as this knowledge continually expands, um, it's just going to be in society's interest that um, uh, you have that extra education um, as a prerequisite for licensure. It's not talking about uh, incompetence now. It's talking about uh, uh, down the road and uh, also providing you know greater depth and a greater breadth for, for engineers that they can uh, take a leadership role. That's something that's uh, been part of uh, the vision for 2025 uh, effort where it looks at uh, you know engineers being entrusted by society to uh, – uh, take a leadership role, be it uh, in sustainability, be it in leadership and uh, public policy, managing risk, um, being innovators of technology. There's just uh, so much that uh, engineers really need to, to uh, you know, be have command of and have mastery of at the uh, professional mm-hmm. level. But that's something that's been very uh, important for ASCE and other organizations. NSPE, the National Society of Professional Engineers, is a partner there. And uh, also the, the Federation of Licensure Boards has, has a model law of what's required for licensure and that uh, they've also passed in their model law to require for future uh, professional engineers that uh, they would have the extra education. Yeah, so you mentioned the Society of Professional Engineers. Uh, how much cooperation is there between these uh, professional engineering societies? Well, it really depends on the area, but uh, there is a lot. I mean, certainly, you know, every every uh, society tries to look out, you know, for the things it does, and there's, you know, sometimes friendly competition. But uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of cooperation. I mentioned NSPE, professional engineers, uh, you know, partnering with us on the raise the bar effort. There's uh, something that ASC's co-founded is the Institute for Sustainable Infrastructure. Sustainability is is a big thing for uh, society that uh, you know you have lead for buildings. But uh, there was always this gap for um, uh, on the um, horizontal infrastructure, if you will. And we partner with um, uh, ACEC, the American Council of Engineering Companies, and the American Public Works Association. So they've come out with an Envision uh, rating tool for sustainable infrastructure, sort of like a LEED, and you can also get uh, certified in that. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. Um, Engineers Week has many partners. ASC has been very active uh, in that, National Engineers Week. Uh, and then uh, also, let's say, just recently been involved with uh, history and heritage. That's one thing that's also under me at uh, ASCE. And uh, there's a um, uh, an effort that's led by the electrical engineers uh, to create a, a unified sort of history and technology uh, website. So a number of uh, in, uh, engineering societies of all of that. So that's just a, a few examples. So there's there's a lot of uh, groups working together. Cool. Uh, can I, when is National Engineers Week? I don't think I've ever heard of it before. Okay, well, it's uh, something you should hear of. It's uh, it's an old program that's been around for, for a long time. Uh, it's in February. Uh, it has to do with uh, with George Washington's birthday that week. And because uh, he was a surveyor, you know, slash 
engineer, if you will, and so sort of America's lead, uh, you know, sort of founding engineer, if you will. So it always happens then, but it's really not just a week. It's a, uh, uh, it's something they're moving toward more for the Discover Engineering brand to it, that it's it's really a year-round program. And it's uh, many societies working together along with corporate sponsors. And they uh, have Future Cities competition, which uh, is middle school students get together uh, building City of the Future using SimCity softwares, and they build models. And it's uh, that's been extremely successful uh, uh, programs like that. They do, they do outreach. Um, they do events around the country. And Many engineering societies uh, are are involved at a local level. They have uh, activities to go into classrooms. Uh, there's all kinds of outreach materials that have been produced for that. So it's really a big uh, a big program, and uh, you know something you can look out for in February. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It certainly sounds pretty cool. I have to work on getting Hallmark uh, to make some cards for it. Yeah, so just go to eweek.org. That's uh, you can eweek.org. Eweek is all right. Eweek. Bookmarking it now. I think my wife would say we celebrate engineers enough in our house already. (laughs) So in this era of uh, technological change, what does the American Society of Civil Engineers see as its uh, primary challenge? I mean, are there, you know, one or two efforts that it says we we must address this in the coming years? Well, I think that, you know, some of the, you know, things I mentioned uh, are are related to that technological change, and that's certainly uh, sustainability uh, you know, society needs to find new ways uh, to be more sustainable in what's uh, in the infrastructure it produces. Uh, certainly, there's been a lot of progress. I'm engineers involved in sustainability a long time, even before ASC sort of you know launched a strategic initiative to really focus on that and to also launch that uh, institute for uh, you know, sustainable infrastructure. So that's you know that's one. I mentioned you know the great growth in, in, in the body of knowledge and of, the, of technology in the ever more complex world that, that's part of the Raise the Bar initiative. Certainly that that feeds into that. And also just how we deliver things. You know, we're working on a new website to realize, you know, that there are things we need to improve there. Uh, you know, our continuing education program certainly uh, uses uh, a lot of online technologies and webinars and is looking, you know, has to look on how to do that better. You have to be more mobile. Things have to work on mobile devices, obviously, in the future. And associations are sometimes a little slow in getting on that. And uh, we're we're definitely uh, you know working hard to uh, to get that uh, improved in the future with our with our online materials. Yeah, it would seem in this era when uh, so much of the uh, the nation's infrastructure has to be repaired that the ASCE would uh, at least be having members coming along for the uh, foreseeable future. The, the the area of engineering that seems to be really growing, or one of the few areas that seems to be really uh, growing quickly, is that of civil engineering. And that's you know certainly you know one of the the, the major priorities of ASC, and there's certainly uh, you know need to emphasize is uh, um, the work on infrastructure. I mean, ASCE has been a leader with a report card on America's infrastructure, which uh, you know has gotten you know President Obama has mentioned it uh, in his. Uh, you know, State of the Union address and, uh, you know, has been noticed by the White House, people in Congress. It gets mentioned in the press constantly in the sense that there are really bad grades as far as uh, there's not enough investment in American infrastructure and it's crumbling. And certainly the idea of new technologies are, are there. Uh, how how can we get more investment? How can we do things uh, cheaper uh, and more efficiently? And there's also, you know, sort of the non-technological approaches. Obviously, you could free up some room on the highways if you didn't have the um, as many people on the roads. So if there's more telecommuting, that can ease things. So there's really all kinds of uh, you know aspects that need to be looked at to to try to address that problem. But uh, uh, ASC has really been a, a leader on the uh, infrastructure front and raising awareness of uh, what needs to be done. 
How's the civil engineering field doing in terms of attracting people? I mean, I, I, I vaguely understand that uh, you have a contracting engineering population. Is is civil expanding or at least hemor- uh, hemorrhaging loss? Well, civil is doing very well. I mean, actually, they've had, uh, you know, as far as the number of uh, civil engineers enrolled is at an all-time high. So um, I'm not – I can't off the top of my head know for all of engineering – uh, certainly, you hear sometimes you know of companies uh, saying they can't get enough engineers. We need to have more visas to allow people come from abroad. But uh, you know, in the civil field, you know, and there have also been times, certainly when when there's a lot of demand, where you know companies have some hard times finding uh, engineers or finding the the ones that really can do the job well. That uh, you know, you'll sometimes hear about shortages. But uh, but generally, as far as the enrollment, uh, it's it's doing quite well. And did uh, civil engineers really take it on the? Uh Chin in the two thousand seven two thousand eight crisis. Oh yeah, that uh, I mean, I you know talked to a lot of members and uh, you know also members of the board at the time that uh, were just really de- you know devastated. Obviously, some some companies you know weather the storm better than others, but you know you hear about firms that you know had thirty people and they're down to ten, and things like that. And so uh, you know there were a lot of uh, a lot of people hurting. It also hurt ASE you know, the, the the economy as far as selling publications. And things like that, which uh, you know, those help support uh, the programs that ASC does, and continuing ed, continuing ed is still trying to recover from that recession, uh, and uh, you know, to get uh, get those revenues back up so he can do programs. Yeah, that, that was my follow up question. Has there been an appreciable rebound since the uh, trough? Yeah, publications has done well. The ASC probably they've they've rebounded. Uh, the webinars because they're cheaper um, are doing uh, you know did better. It's still. Work on the rebound for the live seminars, the ones that you know where you have to pay for travel and it gets more expensive for people to have face to face education. Those um, are still uh, looking for you know full recovery. So, uh, Stefan, how does one go from majoring in physics and astronomy as you did to uh, writing a fictional thriller? Well, I guess um, you know I just sort of have an evolution. When I was in college, I still haven't lost my interest in, in the sciences and, 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 and astronomy and physics. Now, I still read, you know, uh, you know, Scientific American and and books related to the subject. But I got interested in the arts a lot uh, and in and in writing, and uh, decided I also wanted to see the world. So I spent about uh, ten years to sort of just working odd jobs, if you will, doing some writing and living in various places uh, around the world. So I started, you know, writing writing novels, and uh, you know, it was one of those novels that came out. I said, well, I want to try try a thriller. I did something I hadn't done before, and. Uh, uh, was a little bit different from some other things I'd uh, I'd worked on, but uh, just my interest in writing and the fact you get in the habit, you start doing it every day. You gotta you sort of keep. It's hard to stop then. And and this latest novel that you've written features an engineer as the uh, as the main character. Uh, so how did that come? Did you decide I want to write thriller first, and the engineer came along, or I want to write engineer first, and it became a thriller? Or how did you decide on that uh, scenario? Yeah, well, actually, the the, the book, uh, you know, even though it was recently published, it was a long time in the in the making. In the sense, the first uh, really got uh, the idea for it back in the '90s, uh, back on this National Society of Professional Engineers. And I was, uh, to be quite honest, always the refrain from engineers was that uh, why can't there be a a television show, uh, uh, L.A. Engineers, from you know the old L.A. Uh, law show, right. and uh, you know why can't you have a have a show about uh, that uh, engineers? always seem to feel, you know, they weren't, you know, as you mentioned, sort of introduction, you know, don't get play in, in, in uh, you know, popular entertainment. And so I said, well, I'm interested in writing. I've, you know, sort of getting a background of engineering, having worked with them uh, for so long and uh, said, well, look, let me try my hand. It could be fun. And so 
let me, uh, you know, work on the fiction, uh, you know, uh, mode and let's, let's put a, uh, you know, civil engineer, professional engineer, uh, as the main character. I've certainly gotten to know many of those, uh, types of people who are, who are dedicated professional engineers that, uh, uh, you know, have a certain mindset, certain interests and, uh, you know, a certain way of, uh, uh, what they feel is important uh, for society. So let's let's uh, create a person that uh, can embody that and hopefully also have something entertaining. Now, I put a bare minimum. Okay, uh, just, I just had a question. How do you how do you make it a thriller about engineering? Um, I mean, I'm not a writer myself or anything really, but I can't imagine. You know, is, is he like sprinting down the hallway with the blueprints in his hands, going, "Stop! Wait! You know, we left this thermal <laughs> exhaust port open." <laughs> Well, that's, you know, that's, chapter with a design review. Yeah, I mean that's always a, a problem. I've you know when I've, when I've talked about this subject, you know that it is sort of the challenge of you know how do you get uh, engineering if you're sitting there you know designing something or if you're you know you're a firm doing business. Uh, you know a lot of these you know the shows about the you know the lawyers basically there's there's crime there's corruption there's philandering around the office mm -hmm. and uh, the problem for engineers you know I guess they necessarily fit that bill <laughs> as far as being a natural thing. It, uh, uh, you know, they're out there uh, doing all that kind of stuff. So I did have to, you know, if the, as far as, you know, the novel, I mean, if, you know, getting into what, what it's about, it's, uh, it, it centers around uh, Scott Carter, who's a civil engineer, who's a structural, is his specialty. And uh, so he uh, is going uh, to a meeting and uh, in an elevator and there's a terrorist explosion in the basement. And since he, desi he, he designed that building, that's why he was there for the meeting, um, help the people get out of that uh uh, get out of that elevator, and when he comes out, he realizes the damage and is really worried that the the building might collapse. So he gets together with the city officials uh, on site there and does uh, some you know cursory inspection, and then goes to his office, which is nearby, to you know run software because uh, he has those files since he designed the building to see if it might collapse. And he does find out that it it, uh, it definitely could. So uh, he's part of the uh, uh, gets back to the city officials that, to clear the area even more. And then uh, he uh, becomes, he's offered to be, to help in the investigation since he has a uh, background with that and uh, teams up with a um, uh, Michelle Taylor, who's a uh, special agent in the FBI, who's looking at the engineering angle. Uh, the first reaction, of course, is Al-Qaeda, and that's, that's sort of where the major investigation goes. So he's sort of on the, on the sidelight, but then it turns out that becomes maybe a, a, a greater part of the investigation. So he's gotten in the media limelight and is sort of the spokesperson from the engineering side of thing and the... Uh, the terrorist, uh, alias Jackhammer, sort of uh, gets him in his sights, and he calls him on various occasions, uses him as a conduit to, to get to the media. So uh, it's it's about that uh, investigation, trying to um, I, you know obviously bring this uh, this terrorist to justice, who uh, turns out to has a series of attacks on on public works. So uh, has that theme, you know, not just have crumbling infrastructure, if you will, but also there's certainly a danger, you know, of the of the of the terrorist attacks. So I did obviously, you know, you could say maybe cheat a little bit in the sense that uh, brought the engineer into uh, the usual kind of crime mode. Um, I also, you know, tried to make it a sort of a human drama to bring in some, uh, you know, personal issues uh, of the character. You know, some health issues. He also, uh, you know, begins falling for the uh, uh, special agent. Has that awkwardness of <laughs> having to, you know, you got to have a love story, right? Uh, the awkwardness of having this professional relationship and how is he going to handle, you know, how his feelings are going. So. You know, I tried to, you know, weave a personal story into it. But uh, so in that sense, you know, how you get the, you know, an engineering office to be exciting and have that be a, a TV show. Uh, 
that's, uh, you know, it can, can be a challenge. I did see, and I think it was South Africa. It's been a long time ago, and I've forgotten to get a video cassette of a uh, TV series that did center an engineering office. So it was sort of like L.A. Law, and I actually saw an episode, and it wasn't, wasn't bad. It wasn't, you know, up to American standards as far as uh, drama. But, you know, so it can, uh, it can be done. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, one could, uh, you know, work out as long as you keep a human story to it, and it's not just... Uh, um, uh, following, you know, sort of the, the daily life, which may be, uh, you know, not as exciting. You always have to bring something special into it. Some, you know, in more interesting characters, you know, you, if you read the books that uh, catch your attention, it's not always uh, just sort of the average, but obviously trying to do something special. Right. But also, I mean, I mean, shows based about lawyers aren't necessarily, they don't, they don't show them for 12 hours sitting, doing paperwork and research and, you know, going down a dead end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That doesn't really advance the plot. <laughs> right. You know, you got the stories come in and the, uh, the interesting twists and the personalities and, like I said, the, the things that the, they go through. So, yeah, cer- um, certainly it, it could be done. I didn't uh, – you know, I tried to bring in as much of the, you know, sort of the consulting engineering life and also the, the association life. I made him, you know, again, you write about what you know. So I made the character, you know, he's an ASC member and involved in uh, association activities. Um, since, you know, that's, uh, you know, the kind of people that, uh, I've been working with for 28 years now in the association business. So, uh, basically sort of going with what you know and trying to also just, uh, you know, to also let the public know the idea was to, to show, you know, what engineering can be about and, uh, uh, the types of things they contribute and how they can be dedicated to, you know, the work they do. You certainly sold me on the idea so far. <laughs> and Stefan, if someone's trying to track down this book, uh, what is the name of it? It's the Jackhammer Elegies, and uh, it's available in paperback and Kindle from Amazon.com or, or as a Nook book. There's also uh, a website, uh, have the, Jack, the Jackhammer Elegies.com, uh, but uh, like I said, you just you can search for that name or even my name since it's not the normal spelling. If, uh, <laughs> that, uh, if you know the spelling, it'll come up in Amazon or in the, the Barnes & Noble. Uh, dot com or bn.com. Awesome. And we'll make sure to link that in the show notes too. So you guys can click right through from there. So is the villain in the book also an engineer? Um, he is now, you know, that might just be considered a spoiler, but I've had a lot of people say that, uh, that's the case. So I guess I'm not giving away too much, but, uh, yeah, so it's definitely engineering all around. So my question is, did, cause I don't know if I'm the only one who's ever been involved in these discussions. I'm imagining engineers worldwide do this, but it seems like uh, engineers will also sit sit around and spitball not only how to solve the world's problems, but also how to destroy the world. Is, <laughs> is I've definitely is, done is that, that. Is that well? Is that is that somehow a, refl- a reflected in the book where? Uh, you know, it's both sides, the creative and the destructive side of engineering? Um, to, to be honest, no, I, I don't really think so. I mean, basically, to, to have an interesting plot, you got to have a villain. And mm-hmm. I think the idea of having a, you know, and, you know, Osama bin Laden was had an engineering background. And, uh, you know, there's sort of that danger that, and that's sort of a theme in the book that, uh, boy, if you have an engineer that's really skilled, and, you know, that's come out in movies, too, that, uh, you know, they have some uh, power that can be dangerous, obviously, um, I would think that the uh, the good guy in the book uh, comes out a lot better, yeah. if you will, and hopefully you'll emphasize uh, empathize with him. But uh, you know there is certainly that uh, that uh, that fact that you know somebody with technical law- knowledge, and if they happen to be an evil person, can obviously do uh, do a lot of harm. I think you're referring to that documentary, "Live Free or Die Hard." 
I'm not sure. <laughs> the documentary. Yes, tr- true to life. That's exactly how it happened. <laughs> Went to school with those guys. They seem real nice. <laughs> yeah. So, Stefan, what has the response been? When I knew you were going to be on this uh, this podcast, I went out and I bought the book and I uh, read it and I enjoyed it very much. But uh, uh, what what do other thing others think? Well, you know, I've, you know, I always feel embarrassed to toot my own horn, but I have to say it's been very very gratifying. I mean, I've gotten a lot of reviews on Amazon of people, uh, you know, really liking the book. I've gotten person emails uh, uh, from engineers saying, you know, they really uh, appreciate somebody putting an engineer as the main character and showing that world. So. Um, people come up to me personally that have read it, so it's 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 really been great. Uh, also, non-engineers, I've uh, it was definitely written not written for engineers. I mean, I certainly you know that's been you know marketing hook that uh, you know engineers might be interested in, in, in this, but it's definitely written uh, to be uh, for everyone. And I've you know certainly had several you know heard from many non-engineers as well that uh, uh, they really enjoyed it. I guess I sort of came at it you know like Grisham, obviously. He, you know, it's quintessential of, you know, putting the law uh, profession into his books. Uh, you know, I tried to do the same thing. If, so I tried to put engineering into the book in the, in the same way as sort of, you know, that's part of the world that the, the people move in. I was going to ask, how did you uh, balance the technical aspect of engineering? I mean, without going into the Dan Brown trope of a long block of like you're reading from an encyclopedia. Well, I guess, you know, you try to just go by your gut feeling of what, what might work. And then when you read over it, you maybe do it. But, uh, you know, maybe I was helped also the fact that I'm not an engineer. So the, the, the things that I brought in were, you know, certainly technically related, but also, um, you know, issue related. So, it, you know, since I didn't know necessarily all the in-depth of everything of engineering, but, you know, maybe had a, had a reasonable knowledge that sort of reflected that, you know, try to give that sort of level that, uh, you know, also just the general reader uh, can understand. I definitely, you know, was writing for the general reader, so I didn't want to go. Made enough, you know, technical details and uh, technical issues and engineering issues in there that people also maybe learn something and, and, uh, you know, have some interest uh, uh, from that, but that they're not, uh, certainly didn't want to overwhelm people and wanted to keep it a a human story. You know, I I think it's very important that the technical aspects be glossed over but be realistic and i think you did a very good job um, about a third of the way through the book and um, i just wish i could find more time to read uh, i know the feeling <laughs> yeah. uh, and i think that i think that's a, a very critical part because we can get off into tangents and uh, get excessively technical but you kept it technical without really going into depth and kept it accessible to everybody well thanks very much i appreciate that i guess the other part of the response and it was mentioned at the beginning and you know that uh um, the one thing I've, you know, I'm always uncomfortable about is, is, is marketing. I'm not the personality that likes doing that, but I guess I've been forced into this situation, so I'll do it. Is the, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the award that, uh, you know, was uh, alluded to at the, at the beginning, uh, just recently heard that the, um, uh, Entertainment Industries Council is a nonprofit that, uh, tries to promote, um, uh, you know, sort of impactful representation of the STEM fields of science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, in entertainment, uh, be it movies, books, uh, uh, other media, and novels, and so um, I was really appreciative that they uh, they uh, gave my novel uh, an award for this year. Uh, so um, be going to that award ceremony. So that should be uh, interesting. Yeah, well, there's some pretty big players in that arena: Iron Man three and The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, so they give some big blockbusters and TV shows, NCIS and Grey's Anatomy. They have various categories of things. They're uh, either episodes or series, you know, or a, a season or movies. Yeah, so it was it was nice company. It was a, certainly a humbling experience. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. 
So for the, the readers who uh, maybe want to go into a little more technical detail in your books, are you going to do a special engineer's edition that includes all your research notes as an appendix? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't, I haven't planned on that. <laughs> I have had people ask if I'm going to do a, a, a sequel, and no plans at the moment because that's a, that's a big undertaking, especially when you have a full-time job and you're just writing a little bit each day. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. So uh, we'll see. But maybe, you know, I'm not ruling it out. Well, it's always tough, you know, if you series you try to pour everything you know, things of that, you know, of this of this kind of book, you know, obviously put a lot of aspects in, you sort of say, okay, what's left to put in the next one? So I guess oh, yeah. pe people manage it, but you sort of think, well, you've drained all of <laughs> what you've got. <laughs> yeah, and especially with an engineer as the main character, you know, whatever little details you're going to throw in, you might as well make them correct. So you have to do that extra level of research because if engineers are going to be reading it, they're going to be nitpicky as we engineers tend to be. Yeah, there was actually the uh, one thing that um, uh, one of the uh, ASC uh, members that I work with uh, a lot after the book came out, uh, he really liked it, and uh, you know, so I asked him, "Well, be frank, you know, what about anything that uh, you feel didn't work?" And he did uh, mention uh, one thing that I then uh, fixed because I didn't want to have that sort of sticking in there that the engineers may feel it's not uh, totally accurate, just the term I use. So I uh, went back. Actually, that's one thing about. Uh, on-demand publishing, and uh, certainly as far as things like, uh, you know, Kindle and, or Nook, uh, electronic publishing that you can then fix. It's not like you printed 10,000 copies and uh, you can't uh, you can't fix something. So it did make that small fix just to feel better about it. So uh, <laughs> that was, hope, gladly, I haven't gotten too much feedback on anything else. I think it's been, been generally good, but you sort of always hold your breath. You don't know what you may have gotten wrong that's going to rub somebody saying, hey, <laughs> that's, uh, that doesn't work. Yeah. So did you ask for a technical advice as you were writing the book, or did you wait till you were done to hand it over to engineers and say, does this read okay? Uh, until I was done. Um, I really had, uh, you know, it was had some, uh, fortunate that um, uh, had some readers, uh, Henry Petrosky, who's a very, uh, you know, well-known uh, uh, nonfiction writer, uh, talking about the engineering experience and thought failure in engineering uh, mm -hmm. And how that uh, is important, uh, you know. He's written uh, several uh, well-known books and sort of one of the, uh, you know, leading writers and for you know civil engineers. And uh, he graciously uh, agreed to uh, to read it. Actually, this is when ASC was actually thinking about well, should they be involved in publishing it? That didn't really fit uh, that that profile, but he gave me some good feedback. And also, a well-known engineer who's promoted the profession is Rich Anderson. He's actually recently passed away, um, and uh, he gave me some uh, good feedback as well. And then also. Uh, staff members at work, uh, uh, that uh, Tom Smith, who's our deputy executive director, he also has an engineering background, uh, um, gave a lot of encouragement. Uh, uh, Casey Dingus, uh, who's uh, been with uh, ASC forever, involved with our communications and, and public affairs. And uh, our executive director, Pat Natal, was also very encouraging. So I'd, I got a lot of good feedback uh, that uh, that really helped out because, you know, you sometimes some things you don't see yourself that uh, that others, you know, can give you good advice on. Right. Well, there's some some clever technical issues in there that that you worked in. I just wondered how much you help how much help you had as you went along, but apparently uh, that all uh, that all fermented in your in your brain and and uh, came out in the novel. Yeah, I guess it came through. You know, the, the uh, and then like I said, just uh, you know some fixes here and there. But yeah, I didn't really. You know, I tend to be you know as far as work alone kind of person, to, uh, and then to, you know check things later. So yeah, I didn't really have a lot of input. Uh, uh, up front, um, I did have some back on the original manuscript. Uh, some people on the NSP staff, uh, Dave Siegel, who's who's still the editor uh, and the communications director there at NSPE, uh, he had uh, uh, read it back when it was an early draft form. So that uh, you know also uh, was very useful. 
you've talked about uh, having to write the book while you've got a full-time job. And I'm just curious how, how you do your writing. Is it, you know, you sit down with a, a pad of paper? Do you do it at a computer? Do you do it 10 minutes at a time or an hour at a time? Or just how do you go about uh, getting your writing done? Well, basically, I think a lot of writers have schedules. And basically, mine is to do it in the morning before work, um, you know, get up a little earlier. So, I mean, right now, it's basically an hour in the morning, if I don't have something else I have to do, uh, that I'll uh, do this kind of work. Uh, but in the old days, my wife was working an earlier shift, got up with her and had more like an hour and a half. And then, of course, on the weekends, uh, you know, you have some have some time. But really, it's sort of the, you know, you do a little bit each day and eventually you'll get there. If you think about it, you know, there's 365 days a year. Not that they say do it every day, but if you write a certain amount, it, it adds up over time. And uh, and so that's basically, um, uh, you know, how to do that. I started out writing on typewriters and uh you know, over the decades, you get into computer, but it's definitely all computer now. I couldn't imagine writing on a typewriter now and, and, and fixing things. Right. How that, I mean, I just just unreal to think in the old days uh, how people did that. I was part of the old days, and uh, uh, it's just uh, uh, tremendous to be able to, you know, obviously move things around and search for stuff uh, in a, on a computer. And did you sort of outline the story first, or do you you start you know in paragraph form and, and sort of let it unfold in front of you? Well, I think for this, since it's a thriller and also something I was new at, uh, you know, what you have to try to work in is sort of the cliffhangers, if you will, be it the plot cliffhangers or the emotional cliffhangers or what have you. So I definitely had to do uh, an outline, um, you know, basically how, how it's going to progress. Not that you know the whole plot right up front. I mean, and that you sort of gestates for a while. And I really, to be honest, can't remember exactly, you know, how much of the outline I had before I started but, uh, you know, definitely work to that to try to, because I sort of had to think out, you know, how, how the thing, the, the plot might evolve. And then, of course, as you're writing, you don't really know how it's going to come out. It just sort of, you know, it comes, comes, and then you try to revise. And so the individual, uh, you know, scenes, even though you may have a, you know, brief description in your mind, it, it really just, you know, luck of the draw of what comes out that day, if you will. Right. So how do you go about getting a book published? Well, I did this uh, self-publishing. I've uh, over the years I've written other novels and have actually had some uh, literary agents uh, take up the books. You know, they take it up, uh, uh, you know, with the hope of selling it. They would then get a percentage, but don't get anything. You know, if they don't sell, uh, just never made the breakthrough to publishing. Even though, you know, and several of them, like I said, had uh, had interest and uh, you know got some uh, good feedback. And uh, you know, this one, you know, I think also had had the potential. But as you know, uh, you know, it's very difficult. I mean, you know. Tom Clancy, you know, recently passed away. You know, his 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 first book, you know, like I think was rejected by twenty five, uh, you know, publishers. And so, you know, that's the, it's it's really tough if you don't have a name to to get in. So this one, rather than wait around for years, and since I had a connection to the engineering industry, I said let's uh, let's self publish this and uh, and uh, try to get outreach, uh, you know, personal outreach for that. So it's just amazing the technology now. I mean, you can literally, you know, once you've got your Word document, uh, you can be up and amazon.com on kindle you know like in an hour you know you fill out a form you get the thing uh, formatted uh you know maybe you have to think about a little bit more than an hour but uh, basically it's it's just amazing and the uh, publishing on demand uh the, the hardback you know it's not like they print uh, copies having a warehouse to send out that basically you've got an electronic file there and uh you know order comes in it spits out one copy and order comes in for another book it spits out another copy um, Amazon, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's CreateSpace is the, is the company I use. Uh, they're, they're owned by Amazon. And, uh, basically, um, it's a free service. You know, you obviously have to go through the expense of, you know, getting a, uh, or the effort of, you know, of getting a clean copy and some do artwork for the cover. And, um, but basically 
that you just get it up there and you know you're selling selling to the world so it's amazing a new world of publishing out there i didn't realize it was that easy just to get stuff up on amazon that's pretty cool yeah i mean you could do it too i mean the uh our deputy executive director tom smith he wrote a uh uh, a biography of his of his dad and his experiences in World War II and his life uh, and life I guess also his family ancestors and you know got got somebody to to you know uh, a um, graphic artist to to format it for me and create a for him for him and create a cover and put it up there and you know he can sell it to all the friends of the of the family and uh, people that were involved with the World War II unit of his of his dad. And, uh, so we were sort of actually working to doing that same thing and, you know, learning from each other as far as experiences, uh, you know, with doing that. So it's it's quite amazing, the, the technology out there. One of the uh, the issues in the story that I picked up on is in a lot of areas of mechanical engineering, having your professional license is not a big deal. Uh, you don't need to stamp drawings if you're doing, say, uh, equipment design. If, if you're away from, from doing buildings or you know, structural designs, uh, and, you know, in other areas, electrical engineering, aeronautical engineering, a lot of times licensure is not a big deal. But in civil engineering, it, it is. And since you work with civil engineers so much, I was just wondering how sensitive they are to that, to that issue. It, it became, uh, without, try, you know, without giving away the plot of your book, that is a, as an issue in your, in your novel. Yeah, and basically is, is also, you know, part of, uh, you know, writing about what you know, I... I said it was almost 20 years with the National Society of Professional Engineers, and they represent professional engineers of all disciplines. So there it was, uh, you know, across the board. Um, ASCE represents more licensed engineers than uh, than uh, any other organization, and because it is important for civil. And and the fact that uh, uh, you know a lot of a lot of engineers that uh, you know really feel you know the importance of uh, responsibility protecting the public, and if you're you know putting your shingle out there to do engineering work, uh, it's really critical. You know that. Uh, you know, you're at least have a minimum competency that you're going to protect the public. And so, you know, there's licensure laws in every state. It didn't happen uh, overnight. That happened over decades that they, they got those laws passed uh, that uh, that require that. So it's, uh, you know, sort of a badge of honor, if you will, too, a sign of professionalism. They have a code of ethics that, um, you know, professional engineers need to follow. They also, that code of ethics requires them to, you know, put the public uh, safety first. And so the idea being that if they see you know, management doing something that is a, uh, uh, they see endangering the public that they're, you know, sort of ethically bound to, to speak up and they take pride in that. And that's one thing where they feel maybe that an industry where licensure really isn't a requirement, there's an required, uh, there's an industry exemption that maybe that may be, uh, you know, missing. And if, if there were more licensed engineers, uh, you know, people argue that, uh, you know, they may feel more bound, ethically bound to, to make sure that, uh, that public safety goes first. Now, of course, industry doesn't mean that uh, things are doing unsafe. There's product liability laws that protect, uh, you know, the public uh, there. Um, obviously, they're going to get sued if they do something uh, unsafe. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of pride with uh, having that uh, that PE after after their name, and they feel that uh, you know they have a lot of responsibilities uh, to to uphold, and uh, uh, they take they pride in it. They feel you know it's 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 critical for the profession, and certainly for you know when you're offering services to to the public. Yeah, I noticed that tension. There are uh, characters in the story that are in engineering management and those that are more in engineering design, and there's a certain tension between those characters. And I thought it was interesting that even though they're all engineers, they, they sort of view the situation in, in a different way. Yeah, if you're referring to, I guess, the, uh, um, you know, the idea of being in, uh, um, you know, let's say in management and, and 
you know, sales and that uh, and that aspect and uh, and design. There are there tend to be the, the, often those those two roads in a in a, in a, in a firm and. Um, Often the you know from what I hear of the profession and my experience is that uh, you know if, if you want to sort of get the higher salary uh, you will have to go into management although there are of course designers that uh, make very good uh, uh, salaries as well and so I just brought that into the book just as a, as a human aspect there's no you know right or wrong of what uh, uh, you know what's a good thing to do obviously everybody takes their their pleasure uh, and and their satisfaction from from different things everybody's different uh, I had my character. You know, really, uh, you know, should be somewhat idealistic. He really liked the idea of design, and and he had a, had a passion for that, and uh, you know, sort of a bit of idealism of uh, you know wanting to uh, you know create uh, some great skyscrapers and and just the uh, the feeling of accomplishment and uh, sort of the grandeur that that uh, that gives. So that's sort of the underlying why he went into engineering. He feels uh, you know strongly about that, but uh, for monetary reasons, maybe also sort of status, uh, you know, for it, it uh, you know. Gets or a higher income for his family, he went into the management side and and somewhat regrets it, and that's sort of a theme in the in the book for him. Again, it's not a statement about engineering in general, but just for this particular uh, character. But it can be a statement about engineering in general. Sure. <laughs> just want to draw value judgments in the sense that a lot of people can do have I know that have great, take great pleasure, you know, in the management side of things, and uh, you know, have very fulfilling careers. <laughs> so that's what all Absolutely. I'm saying there. Um, you know, for myself, if I were an engineer, I'd probably be more interested in the technical side. Um, but, you know, my my job at the ASC is very much into management, and I had to get a great deal of pressure out of that. So, This is not the first time we've talked about management versus design. No, it's a pretty common theme on this podcast. <laughs> So what have been? Uh, let me ask a question. Is the is there a a thought about you know what more people tend to be fulfilled in, or really it's just a mixed bag? It just depends on who you are. Uh, I would I would say that there's a lot of people who don't maybe who would be great managers that don't move into management because they're afraid, and there's also people who move into management because they believe. I mean, there's it is kind of like a career diode. You tend to go one way. And uh, a lot of people may move into management that do it because they're ambitious and then end up getting stuck. And maybe it would have been a lot happier being technical. I guess if there's any critiques of the decision to be made. Otherwise, you've got to have managers, got to have leaders, you know. And management usually has a point. Yeah, and that's like, you know, like I said, I certainly heard that in, in, in talking to engineers and, uh, you know, it's one one aspect that I wanted to, you know, bring up from the human side in the, in the story. I don't know. That's my two cents. Maybe Jeff and Carmen have a, and Adam have a different point of view. Well, I, I do know some people who've gone into management and really liked it. But uh, when I was on co-op, I there was a manager who quit to go to a startup so he could do more technical stuff because uh, he ended up missing it. So it, it, it does appear to be a mixed bag. It all depends on what, you know, depends on the engineer itself and himself, herself. Yeah, I mean, there's a one that his uh, sort of his friend back from his Virginia Tech days uh, that I have in the book. I mean, it's not is a minor character, but you know, really, he just seen his job as a way to make money, and you know, he punches the time clock and does his work, and you know, sort of uh, ridicules uh, uh, you know Scott uh, for being a bit idealistic about what uh, he wants to do with engineering. So, you know, sort of tried to broaden that well, broaden that as well, since obviously there's all kinds of people in the world and in every profession. Well, your colleagues make your job. I mean, there's very few situations where there's going to be A, enough money, or B, enough interesting things going on that it'll justify putting up with, you know, uh, a crap work environment. And, you know, your 
manager or your boss is just another colleague, and they're just usually the most important colleague. And uh, that relationship, in many ways, sets the uh, boundary conditions for your work experience. So, yeah, having a great manager is is incredible, and having a bad manager can, you know, come close to ruining your life sometimes. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, uh, the engineering work is is much that of an artist. I mean, if if you are if you see engineering as a means by which to create things, to design things, to express yourself in the physical world, then perhaps management doesn't hold a lot of importance to you. Uh, on the other hand, if you if you enjoy working with people and you see the value in getting people to join together and move together, and it's not you know engineering is not a uh, is not a tool for the art, but it's more a language that you can speak so you can talk in a common language and, and rally people to get things done. Then I think management is, is engineering management is a great position for people like that. So I think it really does depend on the person and their background and what their, uh, what their interests are. But Jeff, wouldn't you also say it's a form of systems design as well? Which getting people to join together? Yes. Getting people motivated, getting people focused, you know, it's uh like it's like agent based design that's even a term yeah but it's a little more organic i mean if i if i'm designing something and i pick a steel the steel is not going to shift constantly you know i there may be some variation from batch to batch but i know what the tensile strength is going to be if i'm dealing with people then on a daily basis i'm having to deal with what's going on in their personal lives what's going on in the interactions what's happening in the business environment around us uh it's much more a a see and react type thing as as opposed to a study where I can sit down and put it into an equation and know that it's going to be fairly right or fairly wrong. Yeah, your comment about the you know the creative process is certainly uh, you know something that you know other engineers have talked about and uh, you know brought it up in in the book as well that uh, you know that really extreme satisfaction when you know what you've put your effort into design wise uh, you know works out you're using uh, creative solutions to to have a result that you then see in front of you. And, you know, I think Scott uh, refers to that, if I remember correctly, uh, you know, to comparing it to, you know, a, a songwriter hearing his song on the, on the radio, his or her song on the radio, or, um, you know, creating, you know, just even people, you know, doing a great home improvement project, uh, you know, there's that satisfaction of, of having things pieced together. Um, gives the example, you know, back in his backyard, he, he you know, he, he once looking at the little drainage project he did there to, to get uh, you know things to, to drain it there uh, efficiently and just uh, you know working out uh, things that then you can you know realize is uh, certainly a, a pleasure that a lot of people feel and certainly engineers uh, you know can take a great deal of pleasure out of that. Speaking of the uh, the creative process, you know when when you had your main character uh, you know try to work through the issues that came towards him or you know came at him during the book, uh, how did you kind of put the visual or the thought process on paper? You know, is that hard to do? Well, I guess I just had to, you know, think think through, you know, what, you know, what he had to deal with, and try to, you know, you know, check that it, it becomes realistic. Um, you know, I don't remember the details, uh, you know, exactly, but basically, uh, you know, you just want to. The, the biggest, you know, concern is that you do something that people are going to say, "Oh, yeah," and you hear that, you know, that that could never happen, or why would he do that? Or I certainly hear people, you know, criticize books. You know, well, didn't the guy, you know, think about this solution? You know, it seems so <laughs> obvious. So it's. Uh, you know, basically saying it, you know, it's, it's a bunch of bunk because, uh, 
uh, you know, that uh, they didn't didn't see that part. And that's always a danger. And there may be things in there that, uh, you know, haven't haven't been pointed out. But so far, I seem to have dodged them. At least people haven't uh, told me yet. I'll maybe find that out in the future. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine uh, trying to write something that appeases everybody is pretty hard. Yeah, well, certainly, yeah, it puts pressure on you because, you, as you said, I think someone said earlier that, uh, you know, engineers can definitely be picky and they'll catch that uh, catch that one thing that they'll want to want to pick out and, uh, you know, nail you <laughs> to the wall for. <laughs> yeah, I have a tendency to overanalyze stuff, um, but try to try to rein it in when it's appropriate. And then engineers wonder why there's not more engineering-directed content. That's true. I think I, every engineering reality show I've uh, nitpicked into the ground, and I don't watch them anymore, if they're even on the air anymore. <laughs> and then ask why there aren't more good engineering reality shows. That's because they didn't put me in charge. I yell at my TV, and nothing changes next week. <laughs> so, Stefan, you mentioned that your book had won this award that sort of encouraged, I believe it was it was youngsters to go into science, technology, engineering, and math. Yeah, the the organization they I mean they also have an award that uh, you know looks at health issues and, and entertainment that um, uh, really uh, you know projects that uh, well. So that that's one of their goal. I mean, obviously you know getting people into STEM. Uh, you know, there is the worry that there are not enough scientists, engineers, you know, and people into math. That uh, um, and so there are a lot of programs out there. Engineers Week is one of them. National Engineers Week, and uh, this is a group that has corporate funding. Boeing is one of the big uh, funders. Uh, there and uh, so they basically do awards and do do outreach to uh, you know try to encourage the entertainment industry to do one accurate depictions of uh, of, of you know, those fields, but also to have a positive outcome that uh, you know will encourage um, people to go in the field. So I did you know try to you know not thinking about this award, but I mean certainly one thing I wanted to do was uh, you know give back to the profession a bit. I've you know it's given a lot to me. I've had a you know worked them for so long with uh, with engineers that. Uh, Tried to put uh, you know things into the book that uh, showing uh, you know how uh, engineering can be fulfilling, how the character you know that uh, you know there are stereotypes about engineers that here's somebody I think that you know has leadership qualities and hopefully is a a very positive uh, personality and has a has a fulfilling life that uh, uh, you know that could be a positive and uh, he also speaks out on uh, you know what uh, how how engineering is important to to society and. Uh, you know, hopefully that scene then is, uh, you know, if people read it, that it, uh, it's a positive uh, thing and not just, um, you know, some some wacko guy back in a lab coat, uh, you know, doing something to destroy, if you will. Well, I know it's important that uh, people see role models in the various fields, and it's important that uh, women and minorities see engineering role models. And uh, we've even talked on this show. We talked to uh, Jim Heilman on an earlier episode, and he talked about being inspired by the science fiction stories that he read growing up and in, in wanting to uh, pursue space exploration. He started out as an aeronautical engineer and became a mechanical engineer. Uh, we talked to uh, Clay Coons a few episodes back, and he said that he was inspired by the uh, uh, portrayal of a uh, an aeronautical engineer on the 1960s uh, television series My Three Sons. And so even though these are small details, you, you don't think about it uh, playing a big role in people's lives, uh, people are inspired by, you know, seeing characters and relating to characters in books and novels uh, and movies. But we, in the, in the whole, we don't see a whole lot of engineering characters in the movies or on TV. Do you, you know, any thought as to why that might be? Well, I guess, you know, I mean, you know, it gets back to, you know, some of the, the cliches and, you know, 
Are there nerdy engineers? Certainly. I mean, that's, uh, you know, everybody's got, uh, you know, the various, uh, the various personalities, but I guess there, you know, because popular entertainment, it, you know, it needs to have something, you know, the, you know, the idea of a special personality, a special excitement, uh, you know, that's why crime is such a big thing and medical uh, shows are, are, are huge because, uh, you know, you have that drama of life and death and sometimes that, may, you know, it's hard to get into the engineering uh, field. Uh, there, you know, there's sometimes the, the aspect and that's, one thing sort of the, the vision for civil engineering 2025 uh, gets at that, you know, engineers need to be, you know, maybe uh, not as narrow as uh, sometimes they, they can be, that they have a broader uh, leadership qualities, that they have a broader uh, background. That's certainly something with the Raise the Bar initiative that part of education should be, uh, you know, more depth in, 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 in communications and leadership, business, um, social sciences that, uh you know, it's not just, uh, you know, engineering technology, but also engineering of society. So you have to understand, you know, human emotions and, uh, uh, you know, human feelings is, uh, if you're going to, to make your mark. So engineers sometimes tend to, you know, they tend to be introverts often. Uh, I'm certainly uh, an introvert, um, but, uh, you know, try to get over that when the situation uh, requires. Um, and certainly this book has required me to get out more in the, in the public but uh, you know, something sometimes that engineers struggle with that uh, they you know sort of more content to, to be on their own to be more uh, quiet if you will, and they're also you know very steady and dependable and again for you know exciting entertainment that can maybe sometimes be a, a negative I know you know as far as sort of the grounded type of personality I've always uh, been amazed how at the uh, distinguished service awards for that ASC has every year and you hear the bios of the person. And then they're always thanking their wife of 40 years. These are people, you know, late in their careers and they're just, you know, they're not getting divorced. I mean, there are engineers that get divorced, but, uh, you know, a lot of these leading engineers, they're, you know, sort of grounded, have, you know, long marriages. And that's certainly a, a good thing. Uh, not going to knock that, but it, uh, it tends to be sort of not the, the glamorous, uh, you know, sort of on the edge kind of uh, personalities that you might get uh, in popular entertainment that, uh, you know, sort of draws people to, to movies, uh, uh, you know, or, or, or shows. So, you know, that's, that's, that's an aspect, uh, that, uh, you know, that you have to, uh, deal with, but, uh, you know, that's certainly one thing that, uh, there's a lot of encouragement out there that, uh, engineers to, you know, broaden their, uh, um, their, their leadership capabilities, their public speaking and, uh, and being more engaged in the, you know, in a holistic, you know, view of society as opposed to just doing a, you know, a technical aspect of things. Yeah. But, but the engineer, the, in fiction, you know, in, in uh, you know, the movies and TV and kind of st- that kind of stuff doesn't have to be an engineer in real life. But we see even, you know, we think about uh, TV shows that, that featured engineers and, and uh, you know, there are the engineers on the Star Trek movies. And there there's a uh, TV show, I believe, Prison Break, that had a structural engineer. But, you know, even MacGyver, which was a show that the guy was always coming up with clever ideas. He was, in fact, a secret agent, not an engineer. So, so why, why not engineers? Yeah, well, I guess let me, let me, I guess one thing, you know, I've talked about this, I've looked into it, having been involved with this, you know, the movies where there are engineers, and maybe that, you know, shows some of the problems, I guess, is that, uh, you know, some prominent engineering movies is, you know, falling down with, you know, Michael Douglas, and, you know, he's a, he gets, uh, you know, upset about what modern life's giving him and starts beating things up and going, uh, going crazy and shooting, shooting people. Uh, so, you know, there's a negative and then there's Arlington Road, uh, you know, where you have a, a structural engineer that uh, there's a terrorist. Uh, so that sounds familiar, I guess. Not, nothing new there. But again, you know, this, you have a, you know, wacko or a terrorist. Um, 
Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, where Brad Pitt, uh, you know, is the professional assassin. He's his cover career is a uh, is a is an engineer to I guess sort of have that contrast between the life of assassin. But again, you're going to have assassin here and not uh, necessarily a positive uh, role model. Right. I don't know if, I don't know if you see the the law abiding citizen. That's another movie that. Um, uh, with Jamie uh, Fox and uh, uh, Gerard Butler, and uh, they're an engineer, is um, uh, you know a wizard in, in technology, and uh, but again he uh, goes over the edge when his family is killed, and his uh, this lawyer Jamie Lee Fox gets gets the family gets the um, makes a deal so that the uh, the guy that murdered his wife and and, and kids uh, gets out after a couple of years, and so his his uh, goal and is to have revenge on all those people and uses his technology so. You got a pretty sinister uh, character there as well, because you know I guess uh, you know that that sells. There is one movie that um, uh, has has an interesting uh, twist to it. It's a French movie from the from the nineties. Uh, was was nominated for best uh, foreign language film called uh, uh, Ridicule, and uh, it has its back in uh, one of the the Louis. I don't know if it's Louis the Fourteenth, but uh, uh, back in the the eighteenth uh, century. Um, France, where an engineer uh, is wants to have a drainage project because his, his the people on his land are dying of disease because he can't drain the swamps, and so he goes to the court and tries to um, convince them to fund his uh, drainage project. So he's called uh, you know Mr. Engineer throughout the movie. So uh, that's a prominent thing. But the interesting thing is to get his way, he has to uh, show his wit, and he is very witty. And so the whole success of his enterprise or the attempt to be successful is dependent on his communication skills and his ability to work well in the court. So that's an interesting twist, uh, uh, you know, how the tech technology takes the back seat, and it's sort of true in, uh, in, the, in the current world that uh, you have to, you know, have uh, the, the skills to uh, deal with uh, society and politicians and, and, and leaders sort of on their, own, uh, on their own turf. So I don't have the perfect answer, you know, as far as uh, you just have to – you have to have somebody that you know. The people who are writing these movies are not, generally not engineers, uh, so uh, they don't know, know about engineering. Uh, that's that's one thing that the uh, Entertainment Inge- uh, Industries Council tries to do is educate you know the entertainment industry about what's going on to try to create positive role models. But I think you know it's also probably that the writers that write these things initially don't have the have the background to or understanding of it. Was that last one a uh, historical account? If, uh, historical fiction, if not a uh, historical story, I think it was just. I think it was just fiction. It just happened to you know take place oh, okay. in the past. Yeah, it was just a fictional story. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe there it was based on something. But I had no uh, you know inkling that that uh, it was based on any kind of true story. I didn't say anything about that, but because uh, you were list- you were listing all these characters, and I have to say, most of them I didn't even realize they were engineers. And the only ones were the only movies I can remember that are have stories with overt engineers in them are. You know, Apollo thirteen things highlighting the moonshot, or you know, Q. You know, it's it's always, you know, actually Q's a bad example, but it, it's always his, uh, documentary type things, things that actually happened as opposed to fiction. But yeah, and you did mention Prison Break. I mean, I have to be honest, I've just seen the you know the trailers. I didn't uh, watch the the program at the time; wasn't aware of it, but. Uh, yeah, that does have a, you know, the trailer says, you know, I'm a structural engineer. And so it definitely has, you know, an engineer prominently mm-hmm. in that. Uh, I talked to one person at an ASC meeting that, um, you know, had seen the show and said, you know, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, there are some unrealistic things she mentioned 
something that where you know he, they sort of drilled four holes in a concrete wall and it magically you know came out because he had the knowledge of the structure. But uh, she said that was a bit bit much. But uh, you know it apparently got good reviews. Uh, like I said, I, I can't speak to it. I haven't didn't ever really saw, saw it. So uh, as a uh, writer, I assume that you're a fairly keen observer of uh, behavior and dialogue, since that's what writers use as, as their tools. So are there any telltale characteristics that you pick up on when uh, you meet someone and you go, that person must be an engineer? I don't know if I can you know, say that. I mean, uh, you, know, you've, you know, you might like to think that you, you have those kind of insights. I mean, certainly they're you know, you have some things you might want to guess uh, about, and I sort of alluded to some of it. I mean, you know, engineers tend to be, uh, you know, grounded. I mean, if you haven't talked to them, just looking at their eyes, can I know they're engineer? Uh, maybe uh, not, uh, you know, in talking to them, but certainly they're, they're ones that have, you know, an interest in, in logic and look at things uh, logically that uh, sometimes gets in the trouble in the sense that, uh, you know, the world doesn't go by logic if you're trying to get things uh, done or argue a point. Uh, it often goes by emotions and impressions, but uh, it doesn't. So I'm shocked. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So it's it's. I, I think you know there are there are certain things that uh, uh, they tend to be more. You know, at least civil engineers tend to be more conservative than the general public uh, population. Uh, you know, they uh, you know sort of have a uh, set way of you know looking at things. They feel you know that. They, they sort of get upset about, you know, crazy things happening because they feel if people just thought about it in a logical way, you know, it, it, it wouldn't. And that can be uh, frustrating uh, for them. And, uh, you know, they tend to, you know, work things in a detailed manner. And uh, you've asked them a question, they'll go, they'll dig down into the, in the weeds and, and answering often because they want to be uh, complete. But, you know, looking into their eyes and, and knowing I can't say I'm that, that uh, great a discerner <laughs> of, of, of character, maybe others are, so... <laughs> Well, and the other thing I wondered about was whether there was something about civil engineers that made them uh, unusually philosophical. You know, you mentioned uh, having uh, Henry Petrosky reading your uh, your early drafts, and he's, uh, you know, as you mentioned, he's written uh, to engineers human the role of failure in successful design we reviewed in a uh, previous episode of this podcast. And then also uh, Sam Florman, uh, who wrote The Existential Pleasures of Engineering, is also a civil engineer, I understand. Yes, I mean... I I wouldn't say that you know the and maybe that's one characteristic that uh, you know I haven't necessarily come across that they they are are generally uh, philosophical although certainly there are many are and I you know have many uh, interactions with uh, volunteers uh, you know of ASCE that uh, you know are very thoughtful about the profession but these 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 two are sort of very prominent uh, uh, writers um, uh, Henry Petrosky he was the longtime chair of the ASCE's uh, History and Heritage Committee and really. Uh, you know, has a deep uh, feeling for the importance of understanding the the past uh, of of civil engineering. And uh, Sam Florman, who is uh, you know he's a prolific writer and very insightful um, uh, as far as uh, he wrote the book The Existential Pleasure of Engineering and 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 what uh, really drives an engineer and how it it can be a you know a passionate and uh, profession. That uh, really uh, looks at um, uh, uh, you know things that you know elevate one above the the everyday life and uh, and and can be uh, you know as important kind of endeavor as uh, uh, any other. So those, I mean, Sam Florman, he 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 also you know in in his book will will point out that uh, engineers can often be viewed as maybe somewhat narrow uh, you know in their technical aspect and really um, they really need to. You know, sort of be more open about the fact that what drives them and realize that uh, there are 
emotions that uh, you know are part of their work and that gratification they get in in, in creating something that's uh, you know bigger than them and something that also helps society. Uh, you know, is uh, an emotional and aesthetic uh, kind of uh, activity that they shouldn't shouldn't play down. He feels maybe that uh, engineers uh, maybe uh, you know aren't uh, open enough about that, and uh, you know maybe realize it uh, don't realize it enough about themselves that uh, that there is a, a lot of uh, you know what that can you know drive the soul, if you will. That uh, you know people find obviously uh, passion in, in, in all kinds of endeavors, but uh, that engineering uh, can be one of those. And, uh, you know, he feels it's maybe too bad if if uh, engineers maybe don't realize that themselves or, or you know, bottle it all up and, uh, you know, come across often as maybe not being quite of a, you know, broad background. I mean, he's certainly, you know, he's read literature, he's read philosophy, and he weaves all those things into his writing. So, he is, uh, you know, certainly a, uh, you know, a special writer in, uh, in engineering in, in that aspect because, uh, you know, the you don't, you know, see that as much because engineers really aren't driven to writing. And uh, certainly, Henry Petrosky has a lot of uh, interesting insights and has a really has a prose that uh, really goes uh, at things in a in a, in a very insightful uh, and I find you know very uh, you know gratifying manner that uh, you know has made him uh, a success certainly as a, as, a, as a speaker. But I wouldn't say that you know there should be more of those, I guess, and that's maybe one failing of the profession that you don't have uh, you know have more of those type of people that uh, really sort of analyze. Uh, uh, you know, what it means to be an engineer and, uh, you know, how it fits in society. Yeah, I thought it was interesting you talking about engineers not realizing the value of some of the non-technical work that they do. And we talked in a previous episode with uh, James Trevelyan, who's a professor at the University, uh, University of Western Australia. And he was talking about how engineers spend like 60% of their time communicating with others, either through reports or through conversations or meetings, uh, and like a third of their time overseeing the work of others. Um, and yet, if they're not doing, you know, equations, if they're not solving problems, if they're not designing, they feel like that's just filler work, that that's not an important aspect of what they're doing. Yeah, and, uh, you know, one thing that, you know, has come out, you know, in, in, in talking about the vision for civil engineering in 2025 is that, you know, the, the sort of the things you hear all the time, engineers are problem solvers, and that's certainly uh, true, and that's, uh, you know, they take great pride in that, but... Um, the idea that if uh, engineers are really going to be leaders, they have to also be those that define the problems. Uh, it's often been uh, the fact that you know policymakers who are not engineers uh, are making decisions on things uh, you know in the civil engineering area as far as infrastructure or what have you that uh, are technological decisions that then sort of okay here's here's what we're going to do here's how we're going to plan for community or this is what we need and then that's uh, then thrown to the engineers and the engineers say okay solve this problem. And do it, and um, you know, engineer. That's that's certainly also you know great work, but the idea is that uh, you know more engineers need to be at that policy making table to uh, you know use their insights to you know make decisions of uh, well, what needs to be done. So um, you know that's one aspect of uh, uh, of you know having uh, you know taking it to the next level, if you will. Right. Well, we've uh, we've rolled uh, past the hour mark again, and so we should probably think about uh, wrapping this up and and, uh, letting you go this evening. But before we wrap it up, you mentioned that you don't have any immediate plans for writing a a sequel to the book, but I would contend that you've got people now interested in the the interaction of Scott and the world and the people around him that uh, we we absolutely need a a follow-up to that novel. Take a weekend and get back to us. Well, I'll see. <laughs> People talk about it. I'll think about working it in, but it is a challenge. It, it, is, it is a challenge. You know? I'm also you know, seeing about uh, you know, maybe uh, taking this experience also then to, 
get some of the other things I've written uh, uh, published, but that would have to be through the through a normal publisher. That's, that takes some time and uh, takes some effort, since I wouldn't have a uh, uh, sort of a market background, if you will, for, uh, for 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 some of those. But yeah, I'll definitely you know I'm definitely keeping it in mind, and we'll see what happens. And so are your other novels that in any way technically related, or are they completely different subjects? Uh, be completely different. I mean, I've written some literary fiction. I, the one thing that I'm looking now maybe that you know might be of interest to uh, uh, people that have read uh, this book is, is one that's more science-related. Uh, it does uh, have a, a character, main character, that's a, a systems engineer and working. It's, it takes place in the near future. Um, you might call it science fiction, but really it's not trying to, to – to, Really, be just the fact that I wanted a, a world where you can have interplanetary travel. So I put it in the future, and uh, this person's engineer working on this this with this uh, World Space Federation. And he's good friends with a uh, sort of the greatest physicist uh, that uh, is uh, working on a theory of everything. And uh, there's this uh, wormhole that's been uh, was discovered, uh, you know, out in the outer reaches of the solar system. And so the idea that the, a mission could that was supposed to go to Jupiter could go to perhaps prove, um, you know, what theory of everything uh, might be correct. So uh, putting more of my sort of physics and astronomy uh, into that book. So we'll see what happens. Right. And so that's that's a book you're working on? You've all, already finished? Uh, yeah, well, I, f- I finished it. I finished it. Uh, but, you know, you never finish a book, basically. You sort of abandon it. So as long as it hasn't been published, you'll go right. back and tinker with it. <laughs> so, so it's not one that we can go out and get today off of Amazon? No, no, no. It's, okay. It, are, no. Are, do you have any other books that you've published? No, like I said, I've had literary agents that uh, you know have uh, you know accepted my books uh, and uh, over over the years, and but uh, just never made that uh, breakthrough because unless they weren't perhaps you know your bestseller kind of material and more on the literary side, and so um, uh, this thriller is sort of the one that fits more the bill there for for popular entertainment, and maybe this other one as far as related to to science, you know, may yeah we'll see, but uh, you know you uh, just have to keep plugging away, right. Right. And if uh, somebody wished to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to do it? Where should we direct them? Uh, well, they can uh, send an email to I have, uh, the jackhammerelegies.com is a website, and it's that same um, URL. I have an email there. So you can write to S. Yeager, that's S J A E G E R, at the jackhammerelegies.com. Or if you go to the website, there's also a, a contact link that'll go to an info at the jackhammerelegies.com if you. Forget uh, you know that it's uh, S. Yeager, but uh, uh, the website uh, will also you know has a contact form where you can uh, email. Terrific. Let me say thank you for uh, coming on our podcast and sharing some of your insights with us, and uh, we've really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you very much. Got another book to put on my uh, reading list here. I'll get to that bottom of the pile eventually. <laughs> no, thanks. I really do. Appre- I do appreciate it. Yeah. This has been awesome. Or feel like coming back, we'd be happy to have you on. No, I, I do appreciate it. All right, thank you. Have a good evening. The Engineering Commons is produced by Analog Life LLC and Engineering Revision. Theme music by Paul Stevenson. For more info, visit theengineeringcommons.com.